I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Hey there, it's Lars. Thanks for checking out the Lars Larson podcasting experience and have a fantastic day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it from me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Were you then wrong to vote for defunding the police a couple of years ago? No, the community had asked for it. That is Mayor Ted Wheeler of the city of Portland. And I want to start by going back over some of the things that we talked to the mayor about yesterday. As I've told you, that was the first interview he has given on this show in four and a half years. And I decided to try to make the most of it. So we did. But welcome to Wednesday, welcome to Thanksgiving Eve, and you're certainly welcome to join the best conversation in talk journalism. Thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network, where every day we endeavor to serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And if you want to join that conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com, and they all come to me. And as I said, naysayers go to the head of the line. I may get some of those today as we head up to Thanksgiving tomorrow. Um, I also want to invite you to vote in our Twitter poll, but let me get to the Twitter poll in just a moment. I want to go back to this Ted Wheeler interview. And like you, when I listen back to an interview, I usually find a thousand things. Well, I could have asked him this and I could have asked him that. Look, I'd love to have an hour with the mayor of Portland, an hour with Bruce Harrell, the mayor of Seattle. I'd like to talk to Jay Inslee and ask a bunch of pointed questions. I'd like to ask those questions of Kate Brown. And there were probably a thousand different trails I could have gone down. But when Ted Wheeler said, no, I'm not going to rescind my approval of defunding the police two years ago, he voted for it. And now he's bragging about how he's adding police back to an agency that he voted to defund some of the cops. Now, I want to tell you why that's significant. 
because he said the community asked for it. No, in point of fact, it was not the roughly 700,000 people in the city of which Ted Wheeler is mayor. It was a couple of thousand people at most who were marching and rioting in the streets. I'll bet Ted Wheeler and I could talk for an hour about that. Is the community a couple of thousand people of whom a few hundred engage in riot and arson and assault and looting and in at least one case a murder during those riots in 2020? Is that what you read as the community? Because that's going to change political strategies dramatically. If you tell citizens the only way you're going to get City Hall or the state legislature or the U.S. Congress to do anything is stage a riot in the streets around that city and then demand that you get what you want because you are the loudest and most obnoxious voice. And I have to say this. I think Antifa is an evil organization. I think BLM is a fraud. They raised tens of millions of dollars, most of which was spent on its leaders. But these two groups found out something very important, and they proved a point. If you get in the streets, if you set things on fire, if you break things, you will get what you want. If, on the other hand, you decide to behave like an honest, law-abiding citizen, you go to the polls or you vote, vote by mail, you uh, call your city council member occasionally, send an email or maybe a text message, you're not going to get much of anything. Now, does that tell you something really bad? Especially when the mayor of a city says that's the community. Those people out in the streets with the explosive devices and the masks over their faces, the ones that are calling all cops bastards. That's the community. As far as Ted Wheeler's concerned, I don't think so. But at the very least, I will give Mayor Wheeler credit for this. He does admit the city's state is pretty darn poor, and he takes responsibility for it. Listen to this. On issues that matter to the community, whether it's public safety, homelessness, livability, no. Conditions okay. have, have definitely deteriorated since that time. How much responsibility do you take for the state the city finds itself in today? All of it. All of it. Now, I'll tell you, that's abundantly honest. He screwed the city up to a large extent. He takes responsibility. The only problem is if you take responsibility, but then you don't do anything about it. In other words, you don't change the rules of engagement. You don't say clear out the homeless camps. You don't say I'm going to demand that the prosecuting attorney, the DA, in this case, Mike Schmidt show, actually start prosecuting criminals so they'll stop doing what they're doing in your town. And I asked him about that. Listen to what he said. Is it time for you to stand up and call out Mike Schmidt and say, our cops can't do the job if you won't do your job. And if you if it's not time, tell me why it's not time for the mayor of the city to call out the D.A. who is now prosecuting a record low number of crimes in a city that is beset with crime. What I said was the entire criminal justice system from the bottom to the top was in disarray. No, it's not. It's not in disarray. Disarray would suggest disorganization. What we've seen, especially in the last two years, is a concerted effort at the local level, defund the cops, stop arresting people. Of the people who get arrested, stop prosecuting them. 
and the DAs, some of them have done that. Of the ones who get prosecuted, put them in front of a liberal judge appointed by a liberal Democrat governor. That describes just about every single judge in the state of Oregon, many of the judges in the state of Washington. And if you say, no, Lars, we vote for judges. You only vote for the most part. There are a few rare exceptions, but for the most part, every single judge in the state was appointed by a Democrat governor. They will then quit in the middle of their term, years in the future, so another Democrat governor can uh, can appoint their replacement. And virtually nobody runs against a judge because you have almost no chance of winning. So if you have an organized effort, and by the way, it goes right to the governor's office, same in Washington state, where the governor said, let's use the pandemic, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Let's use the pandemic as an excuse to cut loose thousands of criminals and turn them loose on the communities. So if you think that's in disarray, I think it was very organized. You say, let's not arrest people, let's not convict people, let's not send people to prison, and let's not hold people in prison. It's an organized assault on law-abiding society. Listen to Ted number three. That we have officers who arrest the same people over and over and over again. They take them to the jail, and they're told at the jail, which the city has nothing to do with, that there's no room at the jail, so they're released. If they're kept at the jail, what we have is... Uh, problems where either the prosecutor doesn't feel he has the evidence to be able to prosecute. No, and that's not it. See, this is Ted again making excuses for Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt came into office saying, I don't believe in prosecuting criminals. And then when the riots happened, he took over a thousand cases that involved people committing real crimes and setting real danger upon a city. And he said, I'm going to decline to prosecute. And of the very small number of cases that actually went to a judge, the punishment was next to nothing. So when you say, well, this is just disorganization, nobody knows how to make this system work. The system has worked for decades. It has stopped working because virtually everybody in it, from the mayor to the DA to the prosecutors to the judges to the prison uh, operators, the states, They've all decided we don't want to do our jobs and we don't want to hold people accountable because when we do, we end up holding too many people of color accountable. That is the worst kind of bigotry because most of the victims of the disproportionate number of people of color involved in violent crime, why they happen to be people of color as well. And from my point of view, they're innocent. They deserve protection just like the rest of us. It is Wednesday. We'll treat it like a First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome. Thanksgiving is coming up tomorrow, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Well, as I mentioned, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler stands by his decision to defund police more than two years ago, even as he brags today about how the city is hiring new officers. See if you can figure that one out. I suggest it might inspire a few naysayers. Wheeler admits that during his six years as mayor, Conditions have deteriorated, and he says he accepts responsibility for all of that. Responsibility 
But is he going to change it? No, I don't think so. Mayor Wheeler claims his city council is now making the right decisions for public safety. He makes that claim in the face of a likely brand new record this year for murders in Portland that will top a historic record high that was set last year. Wheeler claims the new police-focused intervention team is making good progress, he says, against violent crime. But when you ask him, can you tell me how many people they're actually getting prosecuted? He says, oh, I don't happen to have those numbers. I got to tell you something. No matter what business you're in, if you're proud of the numbers you've produced, whether you're a salesperson or an athlete or anything else, you tend to know at least a few of them to be able to back up your claim. Just this week, we learned that while officers in Portland are arresting and charging far fewer felons and misdemeanors, the local DA is actually taking fewer than half of that number to court for prosecution. Liberal judges make sure that those who do get prosecuted face very little punishment. Wheeler says, I don't accept that any part of the criminal justice system throwing up its hands and claiming it can't do the job. Well, he doesn't accept it, but when I asked, are you going to call out the district attorney and say, you need to start doing your job? Or are you going to hear a drumbeat from all the local officials who are not the prosecutor saying either do your job or get out the door? Result, criminals go right back to your neighborhood to commit more crimes. And they know there's a snowball's chance that they'll be caught or convicted or punished. Happy Thanksgiving, folks, and be ready to provide your own personal security. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. The way has been paved by trademark paving. Just pave it. Serving Southwest Washington. Well, still on the crime subject, but I have to award this Daily Grill a little broadly to everybody in the Seattle and Puget Sound area who is responsible for dealing with crime and public safety. We just got news today. Starbucks, the last standalone store that they have on Seattle's trendy Capitol Hill, the hometown of Starbucks, the coffee giant, Starbucks is now closing a store on Capitol Hill in December. They're going to close it next month over reported safety issues like theft, drug use, and assault. Workers are fighting back, claiming the coffee giant is retaliating against the store because it was the first to unionize in Seattle. So in other words, they're making it a union issue uh, rather than saying maybe my boss is actually concerned about whether or not I'm safe going to work. And by the way, to add to that, there's a trendy ice cream place called Salt and Straw. I think I might have been in there a few years ago. It, it makes a good product. Uh, I don't know what the politics are of the owners. I actually reached out to Kim Malik uh, to see if she would come on the show. They've now said their hometown is Portland, like Starbucks hometown is Seattle. And they're an iconic ice cream place, so iconic that the last time President Biden was in town, you know, he's famous for his ice cream, not for anything else, but he does like his ice cream because he gets a treat if he does what his handlers tell him to do. They actually went by Salt and Straw, where you can, well, uh, uh, ordinary waffle cone can set you back eight bucks, so it's not for the faint of heart. But they're talking about moving their headquarters out of state. They want to move away from what is going on. And they just say safety, dangers to their employees. 
They said, we can't stay here if the people coming to our headquarters can't be safe. So I would look forward at some point to talking to the young lady who is one of the founders of and the person who's operating Salt and Straw. Our best email of the day so far, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com, and I can see you all calling in, is brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest. And they're currently hiring. They're paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. TheMEIGroup.com. Uh, Alan writes in, Lars, last night as I was leaving Fred Meyer, I stopped by and talked to the armed security guard standing by the door. As I walked by, I thanked her for doing the work she does and wondered to myself if she'll be working as an armed security guard in a few weeks once Measure 114 takes hold. There is nothing I've read in Measure 114 that allows security guards to retain and legally use all those Glocks and SIGs with standard magazines that hold 15, 17, or even 19 rounds. I can't imagine too many professionals professionals have single stack handguns or receivers in their collection god bless john browning and his 1911 and thanks god bless as well signed alan now i called up the agency this is the one for the state of oregon washington has a similar arrangement called dpsst uh the department of public safety standards and training and I, because if you're going to be a security guard, you have to have D, DPST certification. If you're going to be an armed security guard, then there's a different level of certification. So I called and I talked to the gentleman, Jeff, who runs the armed security part of DPSST. And I said, how many armed security guards does DPSST have certified in the state of Oregon? He said, as of August, there are more than 2,100 of them that are certified to be armed security guards. You see them occasionally at banks, even at shopping centers and places like that. And I said, do you read anything in Measure 114 that uh, that's, gives them an exemption from following the 10-plus round uh, magazine ban that goes into effect apparently on the 8th of December? And he said, they've asked for a formal opinion for the, the State Department of Justice but at this point, they see nothing in the law that actually says armed security guards get an exemption. Now, if you say, well, those armed security guards, they can just switch over to a gun that doesn't hold and is not capable of holding more than 10 rounds. Yeah, that's a solution. Although that's going to cost money, that's going to take time. Or you can buy a brand new gun. Well, except that right now, as of the 8th of December, you can't buy a gun in Oregon. There is no permit system. The Oregon State Police says it's going to take 44 full-time employees just to manage the permit system. And the permit system, as of today, does not exist. And if you ask the State Police, do you have the extra millions of dollars it's going to cost to hire 44 people? Well, no, we don't. Uh, well, who, where will you get that money? The only place the OSP can get it is from the state legislature, and they don't even start meeting until about the middle of January. So what are they going to do? There isn't going to be a permit system, which means there won't be permits, which means nobody is going to be able to buy a gun. Police agencies will be able to buy a gun between now and then, whenever they get the permit system stood up, which might be, I don't know, months. It could even be a year, but we don't know. And when will private individuals, off-duty cops, and private armed security. When will they be able to buy a gun? We don't know. It could be the middle of next year. In fact, with the kind of cost you're looking at, it may never happen at all. And then you're going to get what I consider the ultimate, one of the ultimate ironies. You're going to stand up a permit system so people can buy guns. But if you wait long enough, there won't be anybody selling guns in the state of Oregon because of Measure 114. So just consider the irony. You'll have a permit system to buy guns and no place to buy them. 
Coming up in a moment, should the owner of the Portland Timbers be forced to sell his team? We'll talk to Aaron Mesh from Willamette Week. We'll treat this like a First Amendment Wednesday heading up to Thanksgiving, and you've got the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and I'm glad to have you join me from around Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for a little honestly provocative talk. And if you want to join the conversation, even as a naysayer, or especially as a naysayer, just dial 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Email talk at LarsLarson.com. Get the Twitter poll a bit later. Aaron Mesh joins me now, the news editor at Willamette Week. Aaron, I got to tell you, if I have a dog in the fight, it's that I can't stand Merritt Paulson. Uh, I haven't liked him from the beginning when he was the toast of the town and he brought Major League Soccer to town. And I just thought the guy was uh, no more honest than his dad uh, was. So, And, and maybe I, I transfer some of my dislike for his father, uh, uh, Hank Paulson, uh, to Merritt Paulson. But it, 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 all, it never seemed like the, that he was running a, le- a legitimate show. And now... It sounds like he's going to have to sell, what, at least one of the teams, uh, and he hopes to hold on to one of them. Tell me about the story that you put up in Willamette Week today. Uh, yeah, this is a good, this, that's a good intro. So for the last two months since uh, a U.S. soccer report showed uh, serial sexual abuse uh, and bullying by a former coach of the team and a pattern of cover-up, by Merritt himself and his deputies. Uh, There's been increased calls for Merritt Paulson to sell the Timbers and the Thorns. Now, all the abuse and the scandal took place inside the Portland Thorns, the women's soccer team. But the fan base has has been pressuring Merritt to sell both teams. What's really interesting and what we're breaking this morning is that multiple sources close to the negotiations tell us that Merritt has essentially reached the bargaining stage of grief and is trying to sell the thorns and keep the timbers. He's hoping that if he can sell the thorns to a women-owned ownership group, that he will be able to, to gain enough public sympathy to, to be able to hold on to the men's team that he cherishes. Okay, but but let me ask you something. If the reason he has to sell is that he did despicable things, that is, he did for soccer what the Vatican used to do for uh, for uh, priests that were take that were sexually molesting kids. And if you say, mm-hmm. but if the guy who decided to do that on the women's team, but we can still let him own a men's team because the issue isn't an issue there, and the stink of what he did uh, with the women's team will not waft over to the men's team. I don't see the logic. I, I will tell you that I don't quite see it myself, but it is clearly, according to multiple people that we have spoken to, what he is attempting. It's a classic, like, uh, what is the what is the term that Nixon used to use for when you would, like, let a little of it out? Like, uh, Plausible deniability partial, or? No, it was, it's, a, it's like partial, ex, partial exposure or... At any rate, the concept is that I'll get this after I'm off the air. I'll have the spirit of the staircase remember exactly the phrase. Uh, that might have been a Harvey Weinstein term, a partial exposure, but it meant something different. So, it's it's limited hangout. So, yeah. limited like, hangout. What, what if you were willing to 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 concede a little bit of what your adversaries want, but not everything that your adversaries want? And so, there again, I, I tend to think of this as in terms of like reaching the bargaining stage of, you know. Maybe Damian Lillard will only be sidelined for one week. And, and yet, 
what he's asking for is that the the corruption i mean is it fair to describe it as corruption i mean if he knew about the things his coach or coaches had done and he decided number one i'm going to not get rid of them right away and then when i do get rid of them i'm not going to make a, a you know clean breast to the public and say this is what happened and this is why we're doing it um, if he decided to hide it instead not only to protect the coach but to protect himself and the organization how does how does that kind of behavior get excused if you just say, well, now I'm only going to be dealing with a men's team? Uh, because I guess arguably... Well, it, 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 you, is certainly, you, it is certainly a kind of moral rot. And I suppose you could describe it as corruption if, if you think about the fact that like part of the motivation for covering it up is to um, keep from losing ticket sales. So, sure, on a, mor- on a moral level, an ethical level, it doesn't seem to me like he has... Um, a lot of ground to stand on here. On the other hand, as we both know from watching sports controversies play out in other cities uh, and in Portland as well over the years, like who's morally righteous may not always matter that much as so much as like it's business, right? So he does. Well, technically, I shouldn't say he owns these teams because he doesn't. His father owns these teams. He's the <laughs> majority. He's the majority owner. Hank. So you remember Hank? He's the he's the Goldman Sachs CEO and the and the former Treasury Secretary and the, and the big fish in a small pond. And, I, I prefer to think of him as scam uh, artist, but what's that? I prefer to think of him as scam artist, but whatever. Just scam artist on sure. a major like, scale. Maybe when you're a really big scam artist, uh, it, you have a different title. At a certain point, I, I suppose that is tomato tomato, right? Anyway, uh, at, a cer- at a certain scale, <laughs> who can tell the difference? He has the, the, the ownership stake, and the only people who can really make him sell are the leagues. He's also very close with at least one of the league commissioners. So uh, uh, you, uh, my point here is that uh, if you or I were making the decision about what's best for the thorns and the timbers and for the fans, I, I think that it might be a different outcome than the one that's actually going to happen. Well, and here's where I'd go to this. I don't go to Major League Soccer. I really don't have that much interest in, I mean, if I have very low interest in most sports, I have zero interest or less than zero in soccer. But having said that, if you're going to have them in a publicly owned facility, in other words, this isn't just a private enterprise like a movie theater. This is something that is routinely subsidized to one extent or another uh, by actions Correct. of government officials. The, have the government officials weighed in on this at all? All these wokies and progressives down at City Hall or at the county or at the state of Oregon? Because I can imagine, oh, you yeah. ask it, Tina it, Kotek, has she said he should... They, they, all, they all want him to sell these teams. So the, the question is whether or not selling just one of the teams will satisfy them. Uh, Mingus Maps says it's not nearly good enough. Carmen Rubio indicated that she could live with it. It's early, though. I'll tell you what, if it's actually owned and not by Merritt Paulson, but by his rich daddy, is it enough if rich daddy sells the team? Or was rich daddy also knowledgeable about what was going on? Or is he like uh, Joe Biden saying, I knew nothing about my son's business activities? It's more of a day-to-day operations thing. That Merritt, Merritt is in charge of the team. Hank puts up the money. So fire Merritt. You know, don't sell the teams. Just leave him with Paulson. If Paulson is an objectionable, and have him fire his son. I actually kind of like this. This is that's the funniest possible outcome. Actually, is that Merritt Paulson has always been this passionate soccer bro, 
and the idea that his dad would fire him and just keep the teams and like have this sort of old cranky guy who doesn't care about soccer being in charge of it is, is the funniest possible outcome. Well, he's a capitalist and soccer is a communist sport. So just my editorial opinion. But the only reason I suggest that is that if they don't have any objection to Hank Paulson owning the team, fire Merritt. And it sounds to me like the, the biggest reason Merritt wanted to own the team was so he could be a big soccer bro. That he could be, oh, you're the owner of the Thorns and the Timbers, and it's so cool. And in, in other words, he owned it out of ego. And it sounds like he may have protected it out of ego. I have no reason to disagree with that, uh, with that opinion. Can you uh, talk uh, Elon Musk into buying the Thorns and the Timbers and just fire everybody? <laughs> you're, not, you're not the first person to suggest it, weirdly enough. <laughs> I'll bet he would run it differently than Merritt does. Merritt ought to be shown the door, and, uh, and, and I hope that he is. In any case, Aaron, that's just my weighing in on a sport I care absolutely nothing about. But, Aaron, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy your, uh, what, tofurkey probably for you? Oh, no, I'm going to eat real turkey. Thank you. I think that sounds like a plan. It is the eve of Thanksgiving 2022. It's the Lars Larson Show. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and I'm glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And, yes, I will get to calls in the next segment. Well, you've also got a, a, a Twitter poll to talk about, and then we're going to talk about the impact of Measure 114 on people in the armed private security business. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We're going to treat this like a First Amendment Friday. And if you want to sound off, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, well, you can call and we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Our Twitter poll, should the news tell you the names of teenagers when they are accused of committing serious, violent crimes? In other words, you don't out the name of every teenager that you catch doing graffiti, although it might actually help correct their behavior. But I give you this example. A 15-year-old boy charged yesterday in connection with, connection with, get this, three armed robberies committed in less than an hour last week at South King County gas stations. Sheriff's detectives suspect that this 15-year-old may have been involved in 30 more armed robberies. They apparently, uh, they're, they're charged this one kid is charged with two counts first-degree robbery, attempted first-degree robbery, unlawful possession of a firearm, and, but is not eligible for adult prosecution. So uh, the news says, well, we're not going to tell you his name. Do you think that one of the reasons that bad behavior, especially criminally bad behavior like this, happens so often is that the kids know nobody's ever going to know my name. Uh, I'm probably not going to get punished harshly. My entire record may be wiped away when I turn 21 or shortly after, does that make any sense? I don't think it does. I've always been in favor of naming the people accused of crimes, even if they are teenagers, if they are accused of a serious crime. As I said, for less serious crimes, things like shoplift, I wouldn't necessarily name every team. But then again, those don't tend to make the news either, do they? You can find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show. And it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go first to Doug. Hey, Doug, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. How are you, mate? I'm doing all right, sir. Good. Hey, listen, I've listened to you for years, all right? And I agree with most of everything that you say, but I'm not happy right now with the comment that you just made, saying that soccer is communist. What were you thinking? It was not. Is it mostly played in communist countries? 
No, it's played throughout the whole world. No, I know it's played throughout the whole world, but but are most of the countries that it's played in either dictatorships or or communist countries? Whether or not they play the sport doesn't mean that the sport is... Oh, I, then I'll get to the it, it sport was. itself. Then I'll get to the sport itself. It, it seems Hold to me on, more it, like a... It, go ahead. You said, oh, I don't know anything about it. And then you said, well, Merritt's a fascist, and then the soccer's... Actually, I didn't call him a fascist. I thought he was a scam artist, and I think his dad's a scam artist as well. And I've, I've thought that from the All beginning, right. but I, I never called him an, a fascist. Uh, that's, you know, in okay. fact, most okay. people who, who uh, most people you talk to don't even know what a fascist is. A fascist is somebody right. who believes so, in, the, in the, the, the state comes first and the individual comes second, and that everything is done for the good of the many rather yeah. than the good of the, which is an anti-American idea because the Constitution makes yeah, it clear the argument. rights of the individuals come first. And that's not my argument. Soccer was invented in England, all right? England sure is not a communist country. Socialism. And just because a communist country might play the game, doesn't mean that the game itself is communist. That's all I want to say. Okay, and that's and fair. That's, that's a fair, that's a good naysayer comment, and I appreciate your input. And as I said, I, if I'm going to make a comment on something I don't know much about, I like to confess first that I don't know much about it. Let's go to Jeff. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, I was wondering if you had any clarity on this uh, this 114 issue. I, I have a couple of weapons sitting at an FFL dealer, and he's telling me that it wasn't the purchase before the December 8th deadline, that you have to have your background check yep, done by the do. December 8th. Background. You do, and if they don't get it done by December the 8th, you're out of luck. Because on December the 9th, you need a permit to buy that gun, and the permit does not exist and isn't likely to exist for at least months, and it could be as long as a year. And to get the permit, you have to take a class that's certified by law enforcement. That also does not exist. So on the 9th of December, if you haven't already closed that transaction, then I think you're out of luck. I hate to say it. But isn't the, isn't the transaction closed? Like, I purchased the weapon already, no, you and didn't. I'm not paying Oregon no, State Police. No, you didn't purchase it, it because you, uh, you may have paid for it, but you haven't closed the transaction till they've done a background check. Because if you look at the law, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but if you look at the law, the law says to transfer any gun, you must have a background check. So if the background check is not done, then the transfer has not happened. And the transfer is a transfer of ownership from the gun store to you. So you can say, well, I paid them a bunch of money. Yes, I put in my application. Yeah. Uh, it's been submitted to the government. Yep. But until that background check is done, no transfer has happened. So who still owns the gun on the day when your background check has not been finished? Wow. And, and isn't there also, though, there is a three-day rule, isn't there, in the state it's, of Oregon? It's, where an it's more like, no, that's a, it's, a federal, it's a federal law, and it says five days to accommodate three business days and two more. And what it says is, and they call it the Charleston loophole, which, by the way, Measure 114 does away with. Um, and what it said was, if you went in to buy a gun, you gave them the money, you put in your background check, and the background check does not come back in five days, so uh, three business days, then the gun store can release it to you. Most gun stores will not, because they understand if they hand you the gun, and then they get word three days later that you're a convicted felon or a pervert or you've been sent to the mental hospital, then they've got a problem. Whether or not you go out and use it for something criminal, 
Most gun stores won't. I have a feeling a lot of gun stores are starting to make that exception that where in the past they have not given out guns without a background check. They might just start doing it to beat the December 8th deadline. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Wednesday, but we're treating it like a First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network. Why? Because tomorrow is Thanksgiving and we have so much to be thankful for. God has been so so blessed, the United States of America. I almost can't uh, describe it. I'm beside myself. But one of the things we've been covering uh, ever since the election and leading up to the election was the train wreck that is Measure 114. This is a de facto ban on buying guns. And if you say, well, when does the ban end? Well, it might end in months. It might end in a year. Nobody knows right now. Nobody has any idea how it's going to work or who's going to do it or anything else. And I've covered a lot of the other aspects of this. And then uh, a listener to the show, Alan, had been walking out of a grocery store uh, and uh, he saw an armed security guard, a young lady. And he was talking to her for a moment about Measure 114. He said, is there any exemption in there for armed security guards? And she said, no. And I checked. And sure enough, DPSST, the state licensing agency for both cops and for private security and armed security, said, no, there is no exemption for people who work armed security, uh, at least in, in terms of the, the, the magazine round limit of 10. And I thought, well, that's got some serious implications. So. I wanted to reach out to Damian Bunting, who's an armed security guard himself and the owner of Security Guard Training Academy. Damian, thanks for taking the time heading up to Thanksgiving. I hope I'm not getting in the way of your travel plans. Oh, absolutely not, Lars. Uh, absolutely happy to be here and happy to be talking to you. I wish it was under different circumstances, however. does Yeah, does Measure 114 concern you about the implications it has for people in your business, not just you, but the people you train as well? Absolutely. And I actually reached out to uh, DPSST in July. Uh, I was concerned when their response to my questions about Measure 114 was they had zero idea what I was talking about. So uh, leading up to the passage of this measure, even when it was uh, uh, an initiative on the ballot, most people at DPSST were unaware of uh, the ballot measure itself. And that's kind of how we ended up behind the eight ball as an organization. All right. And so one of the problems here is that, and, and I called DPSST myself this morning, and I talked to a guy named Jeff who runs the private security guard part of the uh, Depar- Department of uh, Public Safety Training and Standards. So that's what DPSST stands for. If you want to be a cop, you got to have a DPSST number. If you want to be an ar- a security guard, you have to be certified. And if you want to be armed security, you have to be certified. And I said, does Measure 114 exempt armed security uh, like it does 
on-duty cops. And he said, no, there's no exemption written in, which means on the magazine round limit. Let me ask you a personal question, if you don't mind answering. If you do, just uh, tell me no. Um, When you carry a gun as an armed security guard, how many rounds do you have in the gun? So currently right now I'm running about 72 rounds. That's four magazines, uh, 18 rounds each. All right. Now, every one of those magazines becomes illegal for you to carry after the 8th of December, right? Absolutely. So that round count is going to be diminished to about 40. Now, if you think about some of the locations where I work, primarily being, you know, large grocery store chain, grocery store chains, excuse me, uh, or banks or things like that, you know, the capacity of the rounds that we carry, that's the ability to protect the people that are there. You know, so this measure puts us in a situation where our ability to protect the people that we're hired to protect uh, is greatly diminished. Um, you know, my round capacity going down from 72 rounds to 40 is a, is a major concern for me and my safety, but more importantly, the safety of the people that I'm there to protect. It also means that between now and the 9th of December, you're going to have to go out and find some smaller capacity magazines that will still work with your gun. I'm guessing you probably carry a Glock, right, like the cops do? Uh, you know, I do, and I am at the the benefit of being ahead of all of this because I was uh, vehemently uh, involved in the fighting against Measure 114. I was involved in the conversation with the Secretary of State's office before the amendment uh, was uh, was drafted. So I've kind of been on the front end of this entire situation, and I've been telling all security guards, everyone that I work with, people that I'm close to, you've got to get those 10-round magazines because... You know, I knew that something like this was going to happen. They were saying that this was going to go into effect uh, potentially 180 days after certification. And we found out last week that it was going to be on the 8th. So, again, you know, being a little bit more uh, in front of all this and being able to purchase those 10-round magazines. I went to the gun range yesterday, worked with those 10-round magazines. Uh, everything is working fine. But again, that's me just being aware and having the benefit of being on the front end of all this. But so many guards, we have over 2,000 armed security guards, and the large number of them are going to be out of compliance come the 8th of December just for the simple fact that they're probably not aware uh, that they're going to be out of compliance. There's been nothing that's been sent out uh, from DPSST. There's been nothing that's been on the radar in terms of people letting armed security or security guards in general uh, know about this uh, leading up to the measure uh, or after its passage. So I'm very concerned for the people who are working in armed security and the situation they may find themselves in come the 8th of December. You know, Damien, let me ask you this, because there are lots of people who go out and get certifications for one thing or another. They learn how to fly. They get a pilot's license. They have a boat license so they can you know, operate a boat in Oregon and Washington where there are requirements like that. Nobody goes out and gets certifi- certified as an armed security guard unless they're pro- unless they're going to actively work in the in the business. Do you think that's fair to say? Correct. Yes, sir. I mean, because you have to recertify and you have to pay more fees and everything else. So that means we've got 2,100, as I'm told, 2,121 as of August of this year, who are certified as armed security guards. Many of them may be incapacitated, at least temporarily, by this. And then you've got this question. What happens when somebody comes to work from another state and says, hey, I want to work armed security. I've worked that way in my home state. Now I'm coming to Oregon. What do you think they're going to tell these people? You know, right now, my biggest concern is just that, you know, there's there's really no 
understanding of how this is going to affect people, we can all look at it and we can see that it's going to be detrimental. It's going to be bad in a lot of different ways. Uh, unfortunately, you know, from a organizational standpoint, you know, um, you know, DPSST did not get out in front of this in terms of talking to officers and informing officers. But, you know, this is the responsibility of every American, every citizen. You know, you have to be involved in your political process. I think that so many of us, whether we're talking about armed security guards or just citizens here in Portland in general, we kind of put our head down and we expect that our elected officials are going to do what's best for us. But we're all learning, unfortunately, that it's not the case. Um, so this is going to be a, a very eye-opening experience for a lot of people in terms of their uh, their need to be involved in the political process. No one can sit on the sidelines anymore because this is going to be very detrimental uh, to people in terms of their career, their livelihood. And then, you know, the very real implications that if someone is out of compliance, technically they're breaking the law. That could cost them their, their certification. It could also leave them in a situation where they're having to uh, atone for this in terms of our legal system. So it's very, very detrimental. And depending on the and the conviction they might get if they are cited for violating the law, they might never be able to carry a gun ever again. Damien, thanks so much. Uh, that's Damien Bunting, an armed security guard himself and the owner of Security Guard Training Academy. And I appreciate him coming on, especially with Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And we've got a lot to talk about as we head up. You know, we'll treat this like a First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. So Donald Trump is now facing a brand new investigation headed by what appears to be a political hack. Let me let me back that up in just a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it happens right here every day. And if you're waiting on the line, we'll get to your phone calls. Just bear with me. But the number is 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, well, you will put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, you can find that two places, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Uh, I, I want to make a couple of points about this, and then I promise you I will get to phone calls this segment. Um, so Don, Donald Trump is now facing a brand-new investigation. Depending on how you count the investigations, the president has been the subject of at least eight different investigations going all the way back to 2015, including some where he was called a liar for saying, well, I'm under surveillance by the FBI. People said that was a lie. Turned out to be true. Uh, there were folks who said you're a Russian mole. That turned out not to be true. He had the Mueller investigation. He had two investigations based on the uh, impeachments, the Ukraine impeachment, and then the January 6th impeachment. So you had a lot of investigations and you say, well, but it is part of the job of the Department of Justice and at some times uh, of the United States Congress to both investigate and do oversight. Let me point this out, though. This is the way it was reported. Jack Smith, the special counsel appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate former President Donald Trump's possession of classified information that's still alleged at this point, was a key figure in the IRS targeting of conservative nonprofits, according to a 2014 report eight years ago by Republicans on the House Oversight Committee. You remember that little scandal where there were conservative groups in 2012, in the 2012 election cycle, who said, we want to get out there and we want to voice our opinions and we want to tell America what's on our mind. I mean, groups like True the Vote and others, they, though, had to go to the IRS 
And I've had people ask me about this a thousand times, but here's how it goes. Let's say you say, we're going to form a group, and it's going to be a relatively small group. We'll have a, and, and, and these days with the cost of staff and media and this and that and the other thing, it might cost you a couple of hundred thousand dollars to run a very small group. Ask anybody who's run a small charity, it costs a lot of money. You say, well, we'll just go out and get donations of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. If you don't have tax-exempt status, this isn't about deductibility. If you don't have tax-exempt status, at the end of the year, the IRS is going to come to you and say, you're running an organization and you took in $200,000, pay the taxes. And you say, no, no, we're running a First Amendment free speech organization. We're not a business. And they say, well, do you have 501c3 or some other variation of the IRS exemptions? That's why the IRS and why the Congress created tax-exempt organizations. Otherwise, like any other organization that takes in money, you have to pay taxes on the money unless you get tax-exempt status. Now, it turned out that under the Obama administration in 2012, it was very easy for liberal groups to get tax-exempt status. There were conservative groups who waited literally years. And one of the people involved from the DOJ side of things was Jack Smith. So I, be, I believe he's got a little bit of a dog in the fight here. He was looking, as Representative Jim Jordan said, he was looking for ways to prosecute innocent Americans that were targeted by the infamous Lois Lerner at IRS during that scandal. And Representative Jordan says, and people think him serving as special counsel will not be political. Let me mention one other thing that Jack Smith was involved in. He was at the Department of Justice under Obama and was put in charge of the political integrity operation. Well, this is basically a free license to go out and target people. And who did he decide to target? It turns out it was a Republican governor in Virginia by the name of Bob McDonald. And what happened was he went after McDonald to get him prosecuted because a longtime friend of his had done some favors for him. And the governor and his wife had done some favors for that person. All of us have friends. We've all done favors for our friends. If we don't have friends we've done doing favors for, I feel sorry for you. But guess what happened? Jack Smith led the prosecution of Governor Bob McDonald. And you say, well, that's good. He was probably a dirty dog. Guess what happened when they took it to the U.S. Supreme Court? The U.S. Supreme Court, which back then was split five conservatives to four liberals among the justices, they decided nine to nothing. They voted nine to nothing to say this prosecution with him of uh, Bob McDonald violated his rights. And why? Because Jack Smith went with the theory that if anybody gave a politician any donation, then any action that that politician takes that would benefit the company, even if it wasn't because of the donation. So imagine this, somebody running for governor, running for senator, running for house, uh, takes money from an organization or from a group. And then later on, they vote on something that benefits that group. Every single one of those under Jack Smith's theory would be prosecutable and you would send those people to prison. This is the guy who's now going to head up the investigation of Donald Trump. And I just I think it stinks to high heaven. But then much of what comes out of both Merrick Garland and Joe Biden stinks all day long. Uh, let's go to your calls. First, a naysayer, because we always put naysayers first at 866-HEY-LARS. Hey, Paul, welcome to the program. Thanks for calling. What do you and I disagree about today? Hey, Lars, thanks for taking my call. And uh, so what we disagree about is uh, a few minutes ago you mentioned um, uh, some criminal or something like that. A 15-year-old 15, 15 armed robber who is charged with three 
armed robberies with with a weapon and he is suspected of doing 30 more and i said we should not protect the names of people even if they're teenagers who commit serious and dangerous and in this case life-threatening crimes well i gotta tell you man uh, one of the things that irritates me the most is when somebody when, when the media or or news organizations they take their faces and they take their names and they give them that 15 minutes of fame puts them up there and I, I just think that you know what if they're if they're that um, brazen to do something to do harm to our public to do to do harm to us then they should not get 15 minutes of fame they shouldn't be allowed they they should have maybe their their number their whatever that identifier is that they that they get in the court of law and if they're going to put a picture up then they should put their picture with their with their eyes blacked out with with a well, black line I'd have to ask you eyes. this Paul uh, I get your point but do you think these teenagers if they're guilty of what they're accused of do you think they were knocking off gas stations to get fame or to get money well that is a good point Lars it is to get money but I do think you know uh, that there are some of those criminals out there that just really want their name and, and I, I, I imagine there are there and some of them say so out loud my second question is this do you ever get into trouble when you were a kid when you were a teenager <laughs> well maybe well, no I, I'm not trying to embarrass you I'm, I'm trying to provide an example did you ever get in trouble not with the police no okay but if you did, you have any friends who got in trouble? In other words, were your would your parents have been just absolutely mortified, and would they have said, "Hey, listen, no son of mine or daughter of mine does that kind of thing. How dare you?" And you would have felt some pushback from the people around you. It might have even meant maybe that's the reason you never got in trouble as a teenager. Did you ever say to yourself, "If I get caught doing this, mom and dad are going to come down on me like a ton of bricks and the community too"? You think that? may have held you back from some wrongdoing as a kid me personally but yes but i also okay so so if that's the case my moral compass is could be different than a lot of other people's and i think you're absolutely right thanks paul i appreciate the call welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails as we head up to thanksgiving tomorrow uh if you want to dial into the show it's 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. you can vote in our twitter poll you'll find the daily question brand spanking new written out of the news of the day at lars larson show on twitter and if you don't like twitter go to my website the vote counts the same there Jay Richards joins me now, who's director of the DeVos Center, uh, that's Betsy DeVos, uh, for Life, Religion, and Family, and the William Simon Senior Research Fellow at Heritage. Jay, welcome back. Thanks, Lars. Good to be with you. You know, we were just talking about the Respect for Marriage Act and uh, the fact that the, uh, the current administration is all wound up about saying we've got to put gay marriage into federal law. There's, they're afraid that the Supreme Court is going to overturn its own Obergefell decision, which I guess could happen. Um, I'm going to really make my producer's life miserable. Dusty, do we have that soundbite from Joe Biden just, uh, I think it was 14 years ago? You remember, this is, a, this is a president currently who took a very strong stance against gay marriage, or in effect, by, by backing uh, you know, conventional marriage, I want you to take a listen to this first, and then we'll talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. Listen to what Joe Biden was saying about a dozen years ago. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. 
Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? Now, that was Joe Biden just a dozen years ago. Jay, do you think he's had a little bit of a change of heart on this? And do you think there was a good reason now, in in retrospect, to have a constitutional amendment in the marriage? Absolutely. In fact, he was asking what kind of game was going on. We know what the game was, is that Democrats, uh, people on the left, knew at the time that supporting so-called same-sex marriage polled really, really badly. So they were basically playing an incremental game, chip away slowly. Even with President Obama, people will remember in his, you know, his first term, claimed to support traditional marriage. As soon as they thought the tide was turning publicly, they very quickly flipped to the side, which I think, frankly, they were on all along. And so, but still, there's this kind of basic question. Well, has the nature of marriage actually changed or has something else going on? What, what else is going on is this long march through the institutions to transform not just the definition of marriage, but the definition of what male and female is, which is where we are now. And Jay, not to no. Well, let me have a minor disagreement with you. You said when they saw the tide of public opinion changing, I think what what Barack Obama saw was I got a second term, and now nobody can do anything Mm -hmm. about me, and now I'm going to throw traditional marriage under the bus and back gay marriage because he knew it was unpopular when he took the position, and it was especially unpopular among black voters who voted for Barack Obama, I think, as, as high as 90% in some parts of America. He waited till he got his second term, and then as he once communicated to Vladimir, I'll have more flexibility. Is, is that a possibility? Yeah, no, that's right. I think that's right. That You've made a more nuanced point, but I think he also knew, for instance, that actually among black Americans, same-sex marriage is still the least popular of all demographic groups. But I think he knew that it wasn't at the top of the average Democrat's uh, voting list, and unfortunately it's still not. And so what happened, though, is now if you sort of look at polls, something like 70% of people nominally say they support same-sex marriage, though I honestly think that's sort of shallow support. What's really happening is the Democratic Party is deeply committed and essentially listening to the rabid activists who are at the core of their base that we might call the pelvic left. And so that's why they'll do things like you know, drag queen story hour and these weird kind of things that seem not to make any sense electorally. Uh, but they know either they're not going to lose for it and they're going to get the support of their activists. And that's what's happening in the Respect for Marriage Act. There's actually no risk whatsoever at the moment that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Obergefell. There's no campaign to do that. What they want to do is they want the the Democrats to be able to talk about this and the Republicans to have to talk about it because they know it pulls well in their favor and they can fire up the base. That's really what this is about. It's actually not even about same-sex marriage because if somebody's in a same-sex marriage the day after this became law, this would make absolutely no difference in their lives. And so it's really about something else. And at this point, the plan is that the U.S. Senate will vote in the lame duck session next week on this, this issue, respect for marriage. That's right. And so it overcame a veto so that it could now become the subject of debate because 12 Republicans voted in favor of basically allowing it for a debate. It's not a done deal yet. Twelve twelve Republicans did that. If even three changed their minds over, for instance, the religious liberty implications of this, which we think that heritage is a problem, they could change their mind and then not actually vote to go to, uh, to final vote. So this could still change. But if things continue, we're going to have a vote on this bill sometime next week.
You know, Jay, that's one of those things. That, I mean, there are a lot of times I've signed petitions to put something on the ballot. I've signed and said, sure, yeah, go ahead and vote on it. I'm not for it. And my my signature to say, go ahead and put, a, put it to a vote is often so that it can be put to a vote and then defeated. But in this case, was it smart for Republicans, those 12, to say, yeah, let's go ahead and have a debate? Because they get nothing out of it. And as you just pointed out, they lose big out of this, potentially, and the Democrats win big, even if the thing never becomes law. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is the 12 Republicans are doing kind of classic Republican stuff. They're being stupid. Well, they, I think they imagine uh, that maybe this will take this issue uh, off the table so we won't have to have the same-sex marriage debate at a national level. That's what they imagine they're doing, probably. What they're actually going to do is they're going to empower the federal government to punish people like Jack Phillips of Master Peace Cake Shop and Baronel Stutzman, uh, the, the florist in Washington shop. State. Yep. More of the same. That's what this is going to do. Well, and so what do we do about this? Because they've just walked the Republicans into a corner. As you said, Republicans do stupid things at times. And I am a Republican, but I'm not an office mm-hmm. holder. So they're going to go ahead and have the debate. The Democrats get all the good out of it. Uh, the Republicans get no good out of it whatsoever. And Americans are led to believe, gee, this is still at risk. Uh, We're going to have to support this or oppose it. And opposing it isn't popular. Supporting it isn't either. But if they get this thing through, it really does put everybody else who wants to take a traditional view of marriage, even say churches that offer up their Mm -hmm. sanctuaries, you know, for for marriages, they're going to be told, and you will offer it up to same-sex couples. And if they say, but our faith beliefs don't match up with that, they'll be told, well, prepare to go to court and spend a lot of money because you're going to lose. No, that's exactly right. And I would would actually picture Christian and faith-based adoption agencies to be the first ones uh, with their heads on the chopping block, followed right alongside by individual Christians and religious believers in secular settings. Don't expect a priest to be forced to conduct a same-sex marriage, but expect absolutely everyone else to suddenly be uh, having to deal both with private civil suits, which this would empower, and with punishment and attacks from the Department of Justice and federal government. Do do you understand at all the the notion that people say, I want to live my life my way, but I also want to force everybody else to sanction the way I live my life? Does that make sense to you? It it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, the claim for a lot of people remember, certainly in Oregon and Washington, that this is supposedly about sort of live and let live. What if your gay, gay friends want to get married? Who cares? Well, that's not actually what it was ever about. This is about the enforcement of a public orthodoxy, and there continue to be dissenters, Uh, both organizations and individuals that want to maintain natural marriage. This is about silencing and punishing them, and this bill will do that. It won't actually do anything additional for same-sex marriage. It will simply punish people who continue to dissent. Jay, thanks for the work you do at Heritage. Uh, Have a wonderful and blessed Thanksgiving Day, and we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Same to you. You betcha. That's Jay Richards, director of the DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family, and the William Simon Senior Research Fellow at Heritage. We'll get back to your phone calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. If a teenager commits a very serious and dangerous crime, should the public know who's accused of doing that crime? I would say yes, you can vote any way you like. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday that I'm treating like a First Amendment Friday because we're heading into a holiday, Thanksgiving, and thank God for all the blessings that he has showered on this nation. Our Twitter poll today, should the news tell you the names of teenagers accused of committing serious violent crimes? I would say yes to that. And yet, a 15-year-old boy charged yesterday in the Puget Sound area for, well, he's charged with three armed robberies. He's 15 years old. Three armed robberies committed in under an hour in South King County gas stations. Detectives believe he's been involved in 30 more armed robberies. Now, do you understand one of the reasons that when they write the laws, they say armed robbery is a more serious crime than unarmed robbery, either strong arm robbery or robbery with some other mechanism. Why? because there's a very good chance of somebody getting hurt or killed. So when they catch an armed robber, even if he or she never used the knife, never stabbed anybody, never shot anybody, armed robbery is still a more serious crime. So now you've got a 15-year-old in this South King County uh, issue uh, where he's, he's accused of ripping off three gas stations in less than an hour. He's suspected in 30 others, and they're saying, but we have to protect the poor darling's name. And he's uh, not, apparently at 15, he's not eligible for adult prosecution, which means most of the record that he ever did anything wrong will simply disappear when he's a bit older. Now, does anybody think that's a good idea? And should the news at least tell you, if this young man is accused of 30 armed, or is accused of three, suspected of 30, say he's eventually accused of 10 or 20 armed robberies, where in each and every one of them, Somebody could have ended up either hurt badly or dead, should we know his name or her name. In this case, it's a young man. Uh, today's Twitter poll, at Lars Larson Show, is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let me go to, uh, first to Virgil. Hey, Virgil, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, how are you? I'm doing quite well, and happy Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, too. Hey, so I got in on the tail end of your conversation with uh, the security guard I think you were speaking with regarding uh, the 114 bill, and he made a comment that, I'm sorry, just kind of irritated me, and I wanted to make it clear, or at least okay. my opinion, that his comment was that, he, you know, I guess we expected our elected officials to look out for us, and in this case we can't rely on them. Um, 114 didn't have anything to do with elected officials voting it in. It was voted in by the people. Yep. I completely disagree with the bill, but, and maybe there, maybe some things could have been done on the front end of it to stop it. But, um, well, it, I could, I, I could make the it, argument in favor of what Damian Bunning said. I'm well aware. I mean, we've been talking about this literally for the better part of a year. Um, but let me yeah. tell you why his, his, his comment is absolutely on target. And, and here's why. Number one, when they wrote the ballot measure, it was written by a bunch of nitwits, and you can tell that when you read it because it's so full of holes. It actually refers to laws that don't exist, you know, saying, you know, if you want to check how this applies, look at this law. They actually refer to laws that don't exist. Then when they submitted the ballot measure, said we've got the signatures, put it on the ballot. The attorney general of Oregon wrote the ballot measure language. She, uh, Ellen Rosenblum, is an elected official. And how did she write it? She wrote it in a deceptive, a deliberately deceptive way. She suggested that in the current system, if you go to buy a gun, you only get a background check if you ask for one. And it literally said that. And it said, but this will require a background check. 
leading people to believe, oh, you mean you can buy a gun today without a background check? Uh, no, you can't. You know, but but she wrote it that way. So that's an elected official. Secondly, the law, Measure 114, passed by voters, says the police agencies will do this and the police agencies will do that. So you would think that some of those agencies would have said, hey, listen, this thing's a mess. It's going to create a giant train wreck, which it's creating right now. And they would have said something about it. They did not. So I think his comment, while technically it was passed by the voters, it depends so much on the actions of elected officials. And having Ellen Rosenblum, didn't surprise me that she did this. She's a hard left-wing Democrat nut. But she decided to write a deliberately deceptive ballot measure that helped the thing pass by leading people to believe, if we leave it the way it is, you only get a background check when you're buying a gun if you ask for one. It says, must request background check. Now, have you ever bought a gun? I've bought many guns, Lars. Yes. Have you ever been able to buy one in recent years without getting a background check? No. You, can, okay. you cannot in this state. Not, not, yeah, I, not through a firearm dealer, of course, yes. No, and if somebody tries to transfer a gun to you without a background check, unless you're a close family member and are exempt, are you required to do it through an FFL? You're supposed to, Lars. Yep. In, in our in our county and in, in, in a lot of counties, of course, this, the sheriff's department is not enforcing that. And um, unfortunately, it, this is a state law. Yeah, except that you can say, well, a lot of people do it in violation of the law. Well, a lot of people do a lot of things. They drive drunk, and you say, well, you're not supposed to do that. Meaning you're committing a crime. And I guess if you're willing to take the risk, then that's okay. But this this is is he was right to the extent that this requires elected officials to act, county sheriffs, or Oregon State Police who answer to an elected official. In this case, it'll be Tina yeah. Kotek. And none of those agencies yeah. is ready for what's hitting them right now. And the fallout of all that is falling right on law-abiding citizens. Virgil, thanks for the call. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles. You pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and we're going to treat this like a First Amendment Wednesday. Why? Because Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and of course I want you all to have a wonderful time with your families Glad to be with you on a Wednesday and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. I want to tell you something about energy here in just a second, but I also want to remind you about this Twitter poll. I'm getting a lot of emails about this Twitter poll. It just strikes me that as a reporter, I always wanted to tell people everything I could about a story, even when it came to what I considered kind of garden variety stories, like somebody accused of committing a serious violent crime. And yet, in the last 20 years or so, most of the newsrooms have said, well, you know, if it's a teenager who's accused of doing this serious violent crime, we can't very well 
tell everybody the young man or young woman's name, or these days young pronoun, I guess is the case, since we now have non-binary accused criminals like the man in Colorado who's accused of murdering five people, putting holes in 17 people in that gay nightclub shooting. He's now decided he, they have now decided that they are non-binary. I know, it's a strange world. It virtually guarantees that the major media will be ignoring what happens uh, to anything involving the guy accused of killing five people at that gay nightclub last weekend, stopped, by the way, by the brave actions of a straight Army veteran who tackled the guy. He might have been a, a Marine. I, I, I would, I, I'll, I'm ready to stand corrected on that one. But he was there for a family birthday party with his wife, so I'm guessing he's not gay. Um, and, uh, and he jumped up knocked the guy's guns aside, and tackled him to the floor. And then, then guess what he had to do? The police took him into custody, put him in handcuffs for an hour and a half. He had su- suffered some injuries as well. Apparently, uh, it took them that long to straighten it out and figure out he's not the bad guy, he's the hero. But when I saw this story out of Puget Sound, South King County, where a 15-year-old is now accused of three armed robberies, he is suspected of 30 more and the three armed robberies he did at gas stops he did them in less than an hour and he's suspected of doing 30 other armed robberies he was arrested yesterday he's still in juvenile detention i would hope he stays locked up for a long time at least pending his trial this young man and he is a young man a teenager he sounds dangerous a guy willing to go and commit armed robberies stick a gun because he did have a gun it wasn't some other kind of weapon put a gun in somebody's face take the chance that if that person fights back you may end up with an innocent person killed and what does the news media say oh the seattle times says we do not name juvenile defendants unless they are charged as adults but the 15 year old who is charged with two counts first degree robbery attempted first degree robbery and unlawful possession of a gun is not eligible for adult prosecution. They say that's because first-degree robbery was one of the crimes removed by state lawmakers in 2018 from a list of offenses that could land a juvenile in adult court. Now, I know that some of you are very sympathetic to that point of view. I think it's crazy, and here's why. If you're willing, at the ripe old age of 15, to put a gun in somebody's face to take a relatively small amount of money, then what else might you do? And when that kid gets to age 21 and he can walk around saying, I've never been convicted of a crime, even if he's convicted of these as a juvenile, he gets most of his, if not all, of his record wiped out. And the community doesn't know who he is. So later on, when he's 21 or 22, he may come and work for you. He may work in uh, your kid's daycare center. He may be in some other position and you'll never know about his background. Why? Because the media won't report his name. Uh, The prosecutors and the state lawmakers don't want him prosecuted as an adult. And as a result, and for all I know, he could. And I've certainly talked to former felons who went out and lived perfectly straightforward, law-abiding lives after committing crimes when they uh, were a kid. But do you think that's likely? Do you think that if he's convicted of 20 or 30 armed robberies and he goes off to juvie for the next half dozen years, that he's going to walk back out all straightened up by the system? It might happen. Uh, Am I going to hold my breath for that to happen? No, probably not. So the question we put in the Twitter poll, should the news tell you the names of teens accused of committing serious, violent crimes? Again, accused of doing that. 
Uh, I'm not saying that these that he is going to be convicted. He may be. He probably will be if they've got him dead to rights. But should you at least know who they are? Because if you don't know who they are from the news media, the system has ensured you're never going to know about them later on. And when they want to go to work for you or when they are, let's say, with your kids or other people, uh, other young adults, when he's 21 and he can walk out and say, I've got no record, um, he can be put in a position of responsibility and you'll never know the background. That makes no sense to me. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. I want to mention one other thing. Uh, Dusty, if you can pull up the uh, the racist lady who was, uh, we pulled the soundbite from Jonathan Cho's account. Cho is a great journalist. He works in Puget Sound. And here's what happened. Somebody got video of a a woman who happened to be a person of color, a black woman, who was screaming at an Asian woman at a gas station. And they apparently weren't in any kind of dispute. The black woman just started saying to her, you ought to eat your dog with some, I mean, rice. With that kind of, this kind of nonsense. I want you to play this. We've cleaned it up a little bit. There was some language in the rest of it, but we've cleaned it up for radio. Take a listen to what this lady had to say. You're racist? That's what you said? That's what I said. What did you say? It's not against the law, You heard what I said. Go eat your dog with some rice, Go eat your dog with some rice, and then she used the B word. Okay. So Jonathan Cho puts this up, and he puts it up on social media. We talked to him on the air earlier this week. Uh, He got kicked off TikTok because they said that his posting a video of a black woman in Seattle suggesting, saying, some really ugly things to an Asian woman at a gas station violated their community standards. I would think he was doing the community a favor by saying, look, there are ugly things that are said by just about everybody, white people, people of color, etc." If you out those kinds of things, do you think perhaps we could get people to be less willing to engage in that kind of crazy behavior? Let me go to Heidi. Heidi, we're treating this as a First Amendment Wednesday. What's on your mind? Um, Hi, yes, thank you for your time. Um, um, What's on my mind is social worker safety. My sister is a social worker with DCYF. Uh, She was attacked Monday, November 14th. Um, The the youth that attacked her, uh, he beat her. He he punched her. He he kneed her. He slammed her head twice, at least twice, in the table. He uh, dragged her over to the window. Um, as security guy ushered, her away, ushered them away from the window at least twice. She's convinced that he was going to try to throw her out of a third-story window. Um, she, it was, the attack was brutal, and it lasted for at least five minutes. That is absolutely crazy. It's become a very violent society. And unfortunately, when social workers work with so-called clients, they're not allowed to do much to protect themselves. Heidi, thank you very much for the call. It's the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and your emails. That's easy enough at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And so much to talk about. I mentioned energy. Let me give you a little warning about what is coming at you. If you thought that the Biden administration had already been bad for America's energy future. You know, $5 gas. And by the way, there's no guarantee it's going to come down soon. Yes, it came down a little bit before the holiday, 
it is still, as I might point out, trending along about 40 or 50 percent higher for gasoline and diesel than it was when Joe Biden took office. And it had been at historic lows uh, during the Trump administration. But it's going to get worse. And if you're saying, well, Lars, you're probably talking about all that money they're planning to spend on green energy, like windmills bought from communist China, solar panels bought from communist China. Oh, yeah, that's bad, too. And then when Joe and his crowd decided we have to pay reparations to the rest of the planet, we're going to start off with a billion dollars, although I guarantee you that will not be the end of it, and that China may get some of that money because they're still considered a developing country, whereas we are just the big, fat, rich United States, and we have to pay for our environmental sins. Well, get this. It's going to get even worse. The Biden White House now plans to raise the cost of carbon estimate. It is already high. They want to raise it $51 per metric ton to a total of $190 a ton. In other words, this is the scheme by which they're going to force you out of your car. They're going to force you to live in a country in which energy is not stable anymore. You say, well, but the lights are always on in the United States. I mean, it's been decades since we lived in a country where rural electrification had to be done to make sure that, you know, that uh, it was possible to keep the lights turned on in rural areas as well. No, we're, we're heading into a, a time when it's going to be tough. Tom Pyle, head of the Institute for Energy Research, says that this is going to come as a result of a whole bunch of very expensive new environmental regulations. Federal agencies can then use the higher cost of carbon as part of their cost-benefit analysis to justify even more stringent climate regulation on sources ranging from power plants and automobiles to the oil and gas sector. And if you say, oh, but... I'm represented well on Capitol Hill, if you are represented well by your current senator, uh, two senators, and your rep. Well, this isn't going to come through the Congress. Joe Biden isn't getting much of anything done through the Congress. He didn't when the Democrats were in control of Congress, which will end in January. And they're certainly not going to with the Republicans in charge of the House of Representatives. So they do it through federal agencies instead. In other words, the folks who are going to decide how much it costs to light and heat your home are nameless, faceless bureaucrats who have never shown up on a ballot that you voted on. Now, just ask yourself, is that representative government? Energy costs have already risen from 50 to 100 percent since Joe Biden took office. Brownouts and blackouts are expected in many parts of the northeastern United States if it's a cold winter. This last summer, California was notifying all of its ratepayers, we may actually lose electric power. Be prepared for that. Well, how do you prepare for it when this is the same government, both at the federal level and the state level, that has said, we want you to electrify your house. Throw away that natural gas furnace that works so well. Throw away that really nice hot water heater that runs on natural gas. Replace it, and I'll give you one firm example. If you want a, an actual example, most people who live in a home for any length of time know that they're going to have to replace their water heater. Those things do not last forever. Their average life expectancy is about 12 years, according to the plumbers I know. And that means that after, you know, you may get lucky. I've had water heaters last 15 years. But at about 15 years, you're going to be buying a new one. 
Do you know what the cost difference is between a nat gas water heater and an electric water heater? And the new ones are going to be required to be heat pump water heaters. So it's not just a heating element in a tank. It's an actual heat pump on top of the water heater that heats the water. And if you say, well, it's really efficient. Yes. Do you know how you get efficiency? You pay a bucket load of money. The average cost difference is going to be about $1,500. So in other words, whatever you would have replaced your old water heater with, if it was natural gas, add a $1,500 premium to get the electric version. And if you say, well, I'll just tell my plumber I want the nat gas one. In many communities, it's already illegal to do that. You can't do it. And in many places, they've already decided, well, you can have the nat gas water heater you have right now. Good luck on buying another one to replace that one when it wears out in 12 to 15 years. Oh, and if you're building a brand new house or a brand new building for business or anything else, you're not going to be allowed to put in a natural gas water heater. You're not going to be allowed to put in a natural gas furnace. The energy crisis is going to get worse. And why? Because Joe Biden has decided he wants to price you out of choices that you choose to make. And all of this against a backdrop. Here's the backdrop. America has abundant oil reserves, and Joe Biden says, and we're not going to let you use them. We have abundant reserves of natural gas. We literally have trillions of cubic feet of natural gas, enough to last this country well over 100 years, maybe even a couple of hundred years. You won't be allowed to use that. And coal? Coal that still produces a sizable percentage of our entire national electric grid? They're already shutting down coal plants that still have decades left on them. And if you say, well, it doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Because if your local utility is pressured by these new regulations to take a coal plant that still has, say, 20 years life left in it and say, shut the thing down, you've got that cost shutting it down. Replace it with something else if you can find something to replace it with because replacing with solar is going to be close to impossible, replacing it with wind, again, close to impossible, and much more expensive. How about nuclear? Well, there's one nuclear plant in America that's under construction right now. That's it. So you say, well, what do they replace it with? Haven't figured that out yet. But they're going to tell you you have to do this, and you're going to pay the cost. Now, if that makes sense to anybody, any of you, I'd love to take a naysayer on this who thinks this is the way we ought to go. So we're a country rich in coal, can't use it. We're a country rich in oil. We're going to cut you off from using it within about a dozen years. We're a country not just rich. We've got enough natural gas. We can afford to export it to other parts of the world, and that makes jobs and incomes and tax revenue in America. No, we're not going to let you do that either. Why? Who decided this? Did the Congress vote for this? No, it was decided by a bunch of bureaucrats who, by the way, have nice federal jobs. They have nice, fat federal pensions, and you can't fire them, and you never elected them. And they really don't care if you don't like it, because if you're a federal bureaucrat, imagine this. I work for the people. I'm a public servant. That's what they'll tell you all day long. The problem is, you say, if you work for the public, can we fire you too? No, you can't fire me. And no, you can't cut off my pension. And yes, I'm going to get a raise every year, whether your paycheck goes up or not, because my union that represents me is giving a lot of money to Democrat politicians. And they're the people who are going to be making the decisions for you. And again, if anybody likes that idea, I'd be glad to hear why. 
866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. They all come directly to me. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, you'll find that two places, at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Coming up, is the World Cup likely to be the target of a jihadist terrorist attack? We'll talk about that coming up next. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving planned. God has blessed us all, and this nation especially. Uh, I want to wish a happy Thanksgiving to Joe Truesman as well, who's a research analyst at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Joe, welcome to the program, and I have to start by saying, I'm not a fan of soccer, uh, and we could get into a long discussion about that, but whatever. It's one of the most uh, played sports on Earth and uh, generates some of the biggest audiences on Earth. So the World Cup is a very, very big deal, but it sounds like the World Cup may end up being a target for terrorist attacks. Would you mind telling my audience about that? Yes, of course. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, and, yeah, I'm more of a football guy, so I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, so, yeah, so let's, um, so, yeah, let's talk about it. So uh, my uh, colleague and I, Caleb Weiss, who actually published a piece on FUD's Long War Journal about this issue, uh, titled it Jihadi's Issue Vague Threats Against the World Cup. So what we noted in, in our article is that uh, terrorist organizations, such as al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, we're publishing statements threatening the, uh, the World Cup and its host, Qatar. Uh, so l- l- I want to note, though, that even though these were vague threats or veiled threats, most of these statements are, are more, more like rallying cries during, during this major sporting event. And what they're trying to do here is actually incite. They're trying to incite supporters to commit uh, attacks against these games. Uh, and and let me give you an example so of, of what uh, what, I, what I'm referring to exactly. So uh, so over the weekend, over the last weekend, uh, Al Qaeda, uh, specifically its branch in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, became the first jihadist group uh, to issue a statement condemning Qatar for hosting the World Cup. Uh, in a brief statement, the Al Qaeda branch they chastised the Qatari state for uh, "quote unquote" spreading obscenity and promoting uh, "quote unquote" infidels of all races, but all races. By, by hosting these games. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more incitement than anything else. Like I said, they're, they're trying to inspire attacks against uh, civilian or people just uh, attending these, these World Cup games. Now, what do they, they see the offense of Qatar in just having the games at all because what? It means non-believers, you know, infidels from the point of view of the Muslim extremists or Muslims in Al-Qaeda uh, and these other groups. They view it as you shouldn't be having this event because people who are not Muslims are coming to these events. Is that is that their basic uh, indictment? It's, it's part of it, yes. Uh, they actually uh, said uh, they, uh, they touched on that. Uh, in one of these statements, uh, they, they said that Qatar... And I'm quoting here, they wasted billions of dollars uh, that could have gone for to, to Muslims and in the effort to, uh, to shelter infidels, crusaders, and the polytheists. So uh, and then it, the, the statements went on to warn Muslims not to attend the games and to actually suppress them online. And, uh, to also, and it also called for uh, Islamic scholars to issue these rulings, uh, these, uh, these rulings called fatwas, 
uh, or, you know, their uh, legal rulings. They're basically a threat, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. That, that could be absolutely interpreted that way. And uh, this is not only Al-Qaeda doing this. It's uh, Islamic State supporters. Uh, they have online, specifically, they have published uh, media encouraging supporters that are supporters of the group to travel to the games in order to target Christians and Jews. And you know, they've also provided advice on how to acquire weapons, uh, though uh, the Islamic State itself hasn't officially Comment on the game, commented on the games, though these are just uh, supporters of the group uh, publishing this type of material online. Now, Joe, this may have nothing to do with it, but in the last couple of weeks, I noticed two things, as little as I pay attention to the world games. One is that Qatar said, first of all, we're not, you can't drink beer in the stands. Uh, and, and the second was they forbid kosher food, uh, you know, and, you know, of particular importance to Jewish people. Do you think Qatar took those actions, especially at the late date they took them, to try to uh, I, I, ameliorate the threat? Or, or was it something else? Because it struck me as strange that they would wait until the last minute to say no kosher food and no beer in the stands, as though, oh, it just occurred to us we shouldn't let anybody drink alcohol uh, in Qatar. It might make some people upset. Or were they reacting to some of this, these threats that are coming down, these fatwas from al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula? Right. It's, def- it's difficult to say, even though it is, it did strike me as strange as well as they waited to the last moment to uh, issue these, uh, you know, to, to, to let people know, yeah, they, you know, can't have kosher food, you can't, uh, you can't drink alcohols, because it, it knew it would upset people. But uh, I can't comment on uh, why they did. And, but there's no evidence pointing to it being uh, the reason being behind the reason behind it being the uh, the so-called uh, you know these these veiled threats by Al Qaeda and uh, supporters of the Islamic State. Well, and and I guess I want you to comment. I'm talking to Joe Trusman, who's a research analyst at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. It sounds like what you described. And you described it twice. Is this idea that that in some ways these terrorist groups can operate? Uh, maybe the way a, a, a mob boss in Chicago might have operated in America, you know, 100 years ago, saying, yeah, somebody should take care of that Joe Trusman. Somebody should make sure Joe, Joe Trusman is not around anymore and that the, guy, the boss doesn't actually have to say, you go over and do something to Joe. He just kind of has to put the word out. And all of a sudden, Joe ends up either in the hospital or in the morgue. Is that the way they they coordinate this so that they can have individual what we've come to call? I don't think it's accurate. Lone wolves in America. You say, but they're being basically activated uh, by by this call from from the big guys. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a part of it's a, it's a staple for for these type of terrorist organizations. And it's not just Al Qaeda or the Islamic State. We see I, I, I commonly see this with, uh, for instance, with Palestinian militant organizations, Hamas, for example. They constantly incite uh, Palestinians uh, to uh, to commit violence against uh, Israeli citizens, against Jews, for uh, for a myriad of reasons, and they use. Uh, certain events or places like, uh, for example, in Jerusalem or uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, as, a, as an excuse to launch these attacks uh, to incite. And Al-Qaeda, like I said, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, Palestinian militant groups and other organizations routinely, routinely do this. And they use, uh, they use the Internet to uh, incite, and so, it's, unfortunately, it works. 
But but that means they get what plausible deniability out of it by saying, well, we didn't actually tell anybody to do anything violent. We just kind of put the word out. So, I mean, it, it sounds like kind of a, a crazy way for a terrorist organization to work by saying, we're not going to directly tell you to kill this guy. But if he ends up dead, nobody here is going to be unhappy and they get plausible deniability. out. Of it. Is that what they're aiming at? In a, in a sense, yes. In a sense, yes, because uh, you know they can uh, uh, they can incite people, incite uh, believers uh, of their cause to commit these commit these acts, and then turn around. And, and if something does happen, uh, they have the plausible deniability. Or sometimes, uh, when these uh, when these acts do occur, they take responsibility for them. That they'll actually. And we've seen this again, like I've mentioned before. Uh, with the Palestinian militant organizations, uh, that uh, if an act, if they incite an attack, and even though they didn't directly tell people to, you know, attack a certain person or attack a certain, um, you know, a restaurant, uh, they can still later claim that they uh, were able to, that, that they did it, even though they weren't actually directly involved in the attack itself. So it's twofold here. They incite, and then sometimes, yes, they claim. Sometimes they don't. They uh, It's plausible deniability, as you said. It's pretty crazy. That's Joe Trusman. Joe, have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. He's with the uh, Foundation for Defense of Democracies. We'll be back. I'll get to your calls in a moment. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It is a Wednesday, but it's a First Amendment Wednesday because tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And if I haven't said this before, God bless all of you, my fellow Americans. Uh, illegal aliens, I wish you'd just go home. But for my American friends, uh, uh, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. Our Twitter poll question, should the news tell you the name of teens accused of committing serious violent crimes? In this case, I'm using the example of a 15-year-old in South King County who is now accused of three armed robberies and suspected in 30 more. His name ought to be public. And today's Twitter poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. To your calls now, let's start off with Jeff. Hey, Jeff, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, how's it going today? Very well. Talk about the, uh, my daughter got an email from the cartel the uh, U.S. Department of Education yeah. stating that her, uh, you know, the cartel leader is uh, Cardonia there, Miguel Cardonia. And uh, anyway, I was just saying that her uh, debt relief has been approved, but it's been put on hold uh, with all these lawsuits going through. So they're really kind of trying to backdoor this thing and send it off to the kids that are going to school because my daughter's a, a junior in uh, college right now. So they're really kind of trying to backdoor this thing in. So in other words, she hasn't even sought to get uh, loan relief, but the Biden administration wants to say, by the way, we're about to give you some free money, even though you didn't ask for it. That is correct. It says we received your application or have the income information to process your loan relief. So basically, if you put it in for your FAFSA, you're going to get one of these emails out there. Well, I got to tell you something, Jeff. You know this is all just a political game. I think Joe Biden knew when he announced it that it was illegal. And I say illegal 
Because no president, not Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, is allowed to spend one thin dime without congressional approval. Joe doesn't have congressional approval. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. It'll likely be shot down. And the Congress can say no to it now, now that Republicans are in charge on that side of the aisle. But this idea of we're just going to hand out cash for free without even running it past America's representatives, that is just plain crazy. Let's go to Ben. Hey, Ben, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, thanks for taking my call. I've done just a very brief research into carbon emissions, and I find out that the total carbon emissions for every personal vehicle in the United States is slightly less than the carbon emissions from wildfires. And I'm wondering where the people are to scream, put the fires out. Isn't that a great question? Because, Ben, a lot of us have been asking it. I know I've been asking the question for 25 years. My argument is they ought to put fires out very quickly. In fact, there was a fire about 10 days ago. This happened to be on the North Oregon coast, not far from the Columbia River, so not far from Washington. It was on private land. Tillamook Head. And guess what? It was on private land. The fire started. It was out in less than 24 hours because of a couple of things. Number one, it was on private land. Number two, they got on it fast. And number three, they had roads to be able to access the fire. Now, if it had been on public property, you know that this summer, one of the most serious fires that happened in Oregon, at least, happened. And it started on about August the 6th or 8th. And they didn't really do much of anything about it for close to a month. And you say, well, why don't they get on top of that quickly? I think they want the fires to happen. I don't think they want to put them out. And then once they get to a really big size, they end up spending massive amounts of money to quickly move personnel in to put it, you know, to go after the fire. But by then it's too late. You put the fire out early. You get it taken care of early. You put it out late. Well, it's going to cost you a lot of money. I appreciate the call, Ben. Thanks. Let's go to Steve in Washington. Hey, Steve, welcome to the First Amendment Wednesday edition heading up to Thanksgiving. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, uh, thanks for having me. I really love your show. Thank you. Thank you. In the business. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I was just I wanted to follow up a little more on your uh, concern about energy and and costs. Uh, I I worked in the nuclear industry for since I was about 20 years old, and I I took a little hiatus for about six years working for Hydroelectric and uh, at a dam on the Snake River. And I got to tell you, the the Corps of Engineers uh, and the Bureau of Rec both are grossly underfunded. Uh, the Corps is actually the only federal agency that returns money to the congressional coffers every year, but Congress has no interest in feeding them money for basic maintenance and repairs. And in the Pacific Northwest, there's a, a good relationship between BPA and the Corps and, and the Bureau that, that keeps some of the essential equipment running. But in the rest of the country, the the power authorities don't have that same agreement and so to get anything done you have to you have to ask money you have to identify you have to ask money it's got to go through you know congressional hearings and stuff and then three years later you might get funding for it and and in the meantime that they use bubble gum and and duct tape to bailing one chewing gum you know and and steve does that i mean literally it's like the old joke does it take an act of congress to get a cup of coffee around here you have to you have to go 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 to congress and say would you mind maintaining this stuff it's actually owned by the people and maybe you should put the money into maintaining it that's how crazy it is while they're all telling us we've got to switch to alternatives and in in uh, core 
Corps of Engineers and a BPA, you've got a great example of where there is a, a, a real reliable, ongoing, renewable source of power, and they decide to ignore even basic maintenance. Thanks for the call. You got the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.